The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Dr. Mitch Tepper. You don't have to break your neck to be a great lover, but you could learn a lot from somebody who has. So when you're forced to kind of examine your sexual life and to kind of rebuild it, and not do it just based on what you learned and being so genitally focused. And, you know, it opens up a wide, you know, world of possibilities. What was important for a peak sexual experience that I found from my research well over 20 years ago is that uh, the context of trust and safety. So when someone was with somebody that they trusted and they felt safe with, that opened them up they were able to be vulnerable to experiences and that led to a feeling of connectedness and that connectedness led to a sense of pleasure and even orgasm in people who had not experienced orgasm before if we take sex too seriously and then oh god you know i couldn't get it up i couldn't keep it up i couldn't ejaculate right and then we start feeling like a failure and then this becomes a negative thing and something we avoid you know when couples over 50 you're talking about aging stop having sex it's generally because the guy has experienced sexual erectile dysfunction even minor uh but that's gotten to his head pardon the pun and he begins to lose his confidence and avoid sex and then that creates a, a dynamic, you know, where the partner thinks it's something with them. And then it's uh, the sex life slowly just, you know, fades away. Mitch Tepper received his master's degree in public health from Yale and PhD in human sexuality education from University of Pennsylvania. He lives in Atlanta with his wife Cheryl and he has some great information for us on sexuality from a new perspective. Let's hear it from Dr. Mitch Tepper. Welcome, Dr. Mitch Tepper, to the Open Nesters podcast. Take two. Take Take two. two. Take two. (laughs) Mitch and I met in person, but I'm not a very techie person, and it was the first time I was using a portable mic. So I'm happy to do this now because then he presented me with his book, and I've since read it, which is called Regain That Feeling, Secrets to Sexual Self-Discovery, because Dr. Tepper and my friend Mitch is living with a spinal cord injury and he teaches sexuality from a very deep and beautiful place. So welcome. Let's let's start with your your origin story because um, that was significant in your life to how that really impacted who you are and what you've become as a teacher and a, a man in the world today. My origin story. I guess that's my rebirth into spinal cord injury, right? Something like that. Diving head first. So um, I grew up with Crohn's disease. I guess that's an origin. Uh, And I had surgery uh, in my junior year of college and ended up with an ileostomy, which is a, a bag I wore on my side. And the doctor said, don't let that keep you from doing what you want to do. And I said, I want my job back as a lifeguard. So he signed my release. And, uh, you know, I had went from about 110 pounds from when I was sick and had surgery to about 160 pounds. And my first week back at the Lake Mohegan in Fairfield, Connecticut as a lifeguard. End of the day, I was going to fix a buoy. I ran up to the line. 
put my hand over the bag that I used to wear on my on my on my side. I had a tool in my left hand to go fix a buoy, and I dove. And usually, I would just do a flip over that line and just keep going. And this day, I had planted, and you know, broke my neck. So that was that was my 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 introduction to my new life as a person with a a disability. So. So, so that was that that was the impact, obviously, and the and and all of the things that are, are the learning since then have become such an amazing part of your life. And the reason we want to talk about it is because as we get older, disability is often what limits us. And and then and and I know that they said you would never have children, and and when you did have a son, and you have love and sex in your life, so all of those things are just so significant in us aging and. And then how how the relationship has developed in your life with your wife now and your son who became an adult and how you've been able to teach them. I'd like to start with your family and then others about life as a sexual man, even though you went through so, such a setback. Wow, that's a big jump from uh, breaking my neck to to family. But uh, yes, um yeah, I was in business school at the time, and I graduated and went on and wasn't happy with that and eventually found my way back to a master's in public health at Yale, where I did a, a national research study on sexuality and spinal cord injury, and that led me to go get my PhD uh, in human sexuality education. So when, after I broke my neck, uh, it was seemed like only about five months before I met Cheryl, you know, and no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my timeline mixed up here. Five months from when I met Cheryl, we got engaged, but it was about two years after I broke my neck. So I, I broke my neck uh, in July of 82. I went back uh, to Bryan College where I was uh, in probably September of 84. And uh, re-met my wife. I, I met her briefly, I guess, at a party before I broke my neck. Uh, I ended up moving into the dorm where she lived on the same floor because it was accessible. And and uh, so I met my wife uh, in college. Uh, we dated, uh, I guess some people would say briefly, other people would say long enough. Uh, but after five months, I proposed and we had a long engagement, and then 1986, we got married. So, you know, I think, you know, we learned about a lot of, like a lot of young couples, we learned about sexuality together. I mean, I had some experience before I broke my neck. Uh, she probably had less than me. So, so we kind of grew together over the years. She was Never, you know, she met somebody in business school who was heading towards Wall Street. Now I'm a sexologist, so she she didn't see that one coming. Uh, and so and we were together, you know, for about 10 years. Uh, the first four or five of those, I was I was in banking before I went back to school. And then we had Jeremy after about 10 years using some assistive reproductive technology. I was using a vibrator at home and at home insemination. So at this point, I was already uh, into my my research. Uh, and thankfully for uh, some guidance from a Dr. Beverly Whipple, the G-spot lady, she, she 
instructed me on how to do an at-home insemination. And after several tries, that was successful. And now we have Jeremy, who's 26 years old. So, you know, Cheryl and I, I would say, grew together. And as I learned more professionally, I would I would share with her. That's not always the greatest thing. You know, partners don't want your partners to be your you know, your your teacher all the time in, in that way. You know, I, I would come home and say well, we should speak in I statements and say, well, when I'm talking like that, you know. So anyway, uh, but no, it's true. It's hard for me to teach my husband about imago therapy and that whole idea of conscious communication. Because as as the partner that's right in front of you, so how did you learn together? I mean, how did you learn about even your own sexual lives together during this well, time? Like, what was your best learning? Well, I mean, we learned together as far as I was very open. I was always, you know, reading and exploring, and she was always open to experimentation, you know. Uh, I don't really think there's ever been anything that, you know, she's really had a hard no to. So, you know, it's just, I tell people, you know, before, I guess before I was doing all of this work, I, I thought we were kind of vanilla, you know? Um, and then when I learned about what people think is kinky, I'm like, oh, we've been kinky all this time. Uh, and I say that people with disabilities are have to be kinky by default. So, you know, if you... Describe kinky. Kink is like culturally relative, right? So kink is like something that's off from the norm, right? So if you describe the norm as like heterosexual intercourse with uh, in a missionary position, man on top, you know, then any variety, any variation from that is, is kinky, right? Whether it's woman on top, you know, cowgirl, doggy style, whatever it is, lying side, scissor, uh, any, any of that thing, or, you know, using, using toys or accessories. Right. So, I mean, that, that was her life, you know, um, I could be on top a little bit, but she generally had to get on top, you know, I, I would tie her out. And so we were certainly used to, to switching and we've never really had, I've always been, we've never really had strong uh, gender stereotypes. You know, she's been the one who, you know, fixes things around the house and paints the house. And, and I'm the one who more, you know, decorates and, uh, you know, does the meal planning and, you know, so we're, we were never, maybe that's also to because of disability, you know, and, and roles we had to, had to take on. Um, and so, we we've never been you know strict on on gender roles. We've never been strict on you know rules regarding sexuality. So uh, you, so you were deconstructing some of societal norms back then. So how you're teaching that is what will. Well, I think, like I said, that you don't have to break your neck to be a great lover, but you could learn a lot from somebody who has. So when you're forced to kind of examine your sexual life and to kind of rebuild it and not do it just based on what you learned and being so genitally focused. And, you know, it opens up a wide, you know, world of possibilities. And gender that our millennial kids have opened up and being able to be who you are, even if it's awkward, 
and and it's not something we're comfortable with like i think i wonder if jeremy if your son watching you guys manage that and manage your own even if they didn't know this he didn't know the sexual intricacies the gender roles the idea of how does a give and take work how do we not go with what the rest of the world is doing do you think that that was actually a teaching for him i always wonder in the other yeah i I, I, I think so. And, and not just through osmosis, because as a sexuality educator, it's it's easier to educate your, your children than your partner. And so, you know, we always had books around age appropriate books on sexuality education. And some of them, you know, question some of the gender assumptions, you know, and, and, you know, part of comprehensive sexuality education and age appropriate sexuality education is teaching kids about gender and relationships power dynamics you know and so you know i'd say oh you know you don't want you know to play with girls or girls are bad your mother's a girl you know just pointing out some some basics uh and you know looking at questions you know so-and-so has long hair but he's a boy you know and so he got a very good education through appropriate books and through teachable moments you know we would never uh, hide from any discussion around sexuality or any questions he wasn't overly exposed people think if you're in the home of a sexuality educator you'll be overly exposed and and you know i was using the correct words penis and uh you know clitoris vulva stuff like that when he was you know as teaching body parts for for boys and girls uh which some people might think are inappropriate but i, I think people should have the the right words for their body parts and it, that actually gives them agency as they get older to be able to talk uh, about sexuality and, and negotiate for what they want so you know as as a kid you know he got you know i think hopefully exposure to good a balanced loving relationships you know um we're comfortable you know with you know public expressions of intimacy or at least in the house of hugging and kissing uh you know and so he 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 sees that i think obviously he's grown up in a different place you know different environment than than a kid with two able-bodied parents as i think it creates sensitivity and i and i yeah. and i honor the fact that that you're and you, you're still working with him in a business and you have a beautiful relationships both of you so i think that shows a lot to start with the family and then as far as your teaching goes, I know it's both both personal and your way you connect from the heart about intimacy, as well as what you teach professionally. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about why it's not so important, the physical expression, as much as all the other pieces of sexuality and, and how sacred that is in our connection. Well, I, I, physical expression is important. <laughs> I don't want, I, I'm not saying that it's it's the tendency we have to overly focus on technique right everybody tries to solve their problem with a new vibrator right um or some other new sex toy or some new drug or aphrodisiac and if it was that easy you know as what it says on the cover of you know red book or cosmo or whatever magazine you want to pick up uh, we'd all have you know perfect sex lives you know uh but it really the fundamentally you know we we yearn for connection and and it's not like you can't have a good 
hookup. Uh, if we're talking about quality sex and a long-term relationship, uh, we need uh, some type of connection. You know, we all have the, this desire to to love and be loved in a sexual way. Uh, and, you know, my research on people with spinal cord injuries, I looked at um, lived experiences that impede or facilitate sexual pleasure in people with spinal cord injuries. So I looked at people with spinal cord injuries who reported having orgasm and those who didn't and looked at some of the differences. And what was important for a peak sexual experience that I found from my research well over 20 years ago is that uh, the context of trust and safety. So when someone was with somebody that they trusted and they felt safe with, that opened them up they were able to be vulnerable to experiences and that led to a feeling of connectedness and that connectedness led to a sense of pleasure and even orgasm in people who had not experienced orgasm before so this trust safety and connectedness had the ability to transcend any physical loss to result in pleasure and orgasm so that's that's what i mean so there's this emotional safety this foundation that allows one to really, and this sense of safety really allows you to explore, right? If you don't feel safe, then you stay where you are and you don't experiment, right? You don't open yourself up to different things. So if you feel safe, if you trust your partner, then everything is possible. So, and, and that so. trust comes from, I mean, from my point of view, that it's just it's beyond it's an energy that we that that we reinforce time and time again sometimes through practice but also through really deep love and witnessing one another and so sometimes that's not a perfect road and i'm sure a lot of your coaching and i wonder even as how it relates to disability people as well as people get older how they can get through that discomfort and get through those bumps like so trust trust is a is a scary thing (laughs) <laughs> you know, before you have it, right? Uh, a lot of people have been wronged, right, and violated, and it's very difficult to trust. And the only way is to kind of take it slow, um, get to know somebody, really get to know somebody. And so, like I said, um, a lot of people have fun sex hooking up, right? go swinging whatever hook up with somebody else and you're not in a relationship it's just a a purely physical thing if that works for you that's fine um a lot of time when you have spinal cord injury if you have a loss of function a loss of sensation right and difficulty with with different things like uh you know you have to reveal things about your bowel and your bladder routine right then you know you're not going to want to do that too often right so it's not so much fun so you're looking for more you know repeat uh, repeat connections, re- re- repeat part, you know, partners with repeated um, experiences. And, and then you could, once again, each partner is different. So you have to learn each other and, and, and get to know each other and, um, and, and move from there. As we all learn to explore more at this age of sexuality, I'd like to bring you back to some of my favorite podcasts and episodes on sexuality. There's number 18 with Barbara Corellis called Queerness, Inclusion, and an Ecstatic Life. And then we come up to Amir and my, both of our favorites that stretched our whole perceptions, which is with Reed and Allison, Give Me the Strap On. 
And with number 57, Dr. Tammy Nelson talks about open monogamy in such a wonderful way. And in number 71, Chris and Charlotte, who are the pleasure mechanics, completely expand our idea of pleasure in life and pleasure in sexuality. So I hope you'll explore more with us either through our website, theopenesters.com, go to the Listen tab, and there's a whole library to choose from, or find us on any podcast platform. So, you know, so we have the trust, safety, and connectedness, and then the other, you know, I have my love potion number nine, and that's the first three ingredients, and then we have, you know, what I say, stop, focus, and connect. So uh, I do a workshop on accessible tantra, mindfulness and the yoga of sex so mindfulness and tantra come from the same roots right but tantra has always been associated with sex and has hence been taboo mindfulness you know is all the rage you know 21st century psychology i say mindfulness is tantra medicalized for the 21st century so we we accept mindfulness and being in the moment and uh you know because generally is not connected with sex but mindfulness is very important uh to be in the moment to enjoy great sex and then i talk about the yoga of sex so yoga right teaches people to be in their bodies and teaches people to pay attention to their breath and breath is very important in 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 being able to breathe is very important for a good sexual experience and also sound you know using sound and vibrations so, you know, this stop, focus, and connect, I tell people if we take mindfulness, those skills, and we could just download a mindfulness app and practice it. These things aren't specifically sexual. And then we can take yoga, and there's all kinds of accessible yoga, no matter how old you are, how flexible you are. You could sit there and you could breathe with, you know, other people in the class. So if we take mindfulness and yoga, and then we set the proper intention, because this is all about intention and we play the appropriate attention almost to any stimulation. Those things could also result in pleasure and orgasm. So when we stop, we have to slow down all that negative talk in our minds. Right. Um, and we have to slow down the activity and when we focus, uh. focus on what's going on in your body, focus on your partner and then connect and connect through eye gazing, connect through, shadowing through dancing through breathing through intercourse right connect you just touch other over lines through touch so many stop, focus yeah. and connect right so these these things are all important and then the other ingredients really get down to the physical right and that's creativity adaptability and a sense of humor well i guess the sense of humor isn't physical but well you know we're all different we all have different bodies we have different aches and pains we have limbs we don't have limbs we have places we feel more or don't right so we have to be creative uh in how we play right and use our imagination and as we get older, we learn to adapt to changes. And so, you know, we need to use our skill set, our adaptation skills, applying to our sexual life. And like I said, uh, a sense of humor. I mean, sex uh, should not be work, right? If we take sex too seriously, and I know, God, you know, I couldn't get it up. I couldn't keep it up. 
I couldn't ejaculate, right? And then we start feeling like a failure, and then this becomes a negative thing and something we avoid. You know, when couples over 50, you're talking about aging, stop having sex. It's generally because the guy has experienced sexual erectile dysfunction, even minor, uh, but that's gotten to his head, pardon the pun, and he begins to lose his confidence and avoid sex. And then that creates a, a dynamic, you know, where the partner thinks it's something with them and then it's uh, the sex life slowly just, you know, fades away. And for women who believe with menopause that they can't have sex anymore because their hormones have changed some of their interest. And it's amazing how I do feel like it's um, it's it's such a, a change in our in our ability to now look at it as, that, as an opportunity. Because what you've been talking about is slowing down. And so I discuss a lot this idea of how I can have so much more connection to my sensual being at this age because I have the time and space to explore it. So I'm always teaching. I mean, we also have another interview in our podcast with uh, Barbara Corellis talks about energy orgasms. I have crygasms. I have laughgasm. It's like, and you talk about humor and the fact that as our bodies get older, if we can just do, take a little lightness about it and make fun of them and, and enjoy them and feel them and see the change in them and not get caught up in the performance of them or the or the media image of what a woman's right. supposed to look like when they're young, all that youth culture shit. Like, we need right. so much more at education. Our age, at our age, we're not looking to make babies anymore. So it doesn't matter whether you ejaculate or not, or whether you, you know, uh, menstruate now or ovulate now, right? It's about play. It's about connection. It's about fun, right? And so when you're playing, how could you screw up playing? Exactly. How do you screw up having fun, right? If you if you just keep it light, you know, it doesn't mean there's not plenty of orgasms. I mean, they're different. It may not be a, you know, an ejaculation orgasm and guys have to get used to when i had a, I had a sexual health.com a website for 15 years i had all kinds of questions but the top questions from guys were about their ejaculation are uh, not ejaculating uh, as far or not as hard it's it's lumpy it's the what's the color it's, guys are so you know focused on the quality and the quantity the forcefulness of their ejaculation and what changes they get worried you know, and, and people change over time. So when we start worrying and thinking like we're not enough, we're not the same, we're not 20 years old anymore, that's a downer. And and yet, I, as I said, I, I see this as an opportunity. Uh, and, we, and I have a little quote that I actually took from your page 23 that I wanted to read to move into like how society sees people and how we can overcome some of that. And you wrote, when we grow up in a culture, culture that views people with disabilities as asexual, we deny these individuals the right to full sensory connectedness and the right to touch and be touched and express intimacy and love and reach out as humans to other humans. And this is the idea. Like, what what is it with our society that, that we can, in our own bodies, kind of butt up against and say, this is not how I want things. And at this age, I want to, you know, what you think of me is your problem, right, overall. So, so it's your business. It's not how do we... How do you frame your confidence as you grew having to deal with this all your life with society to be able to connect that way and deal with all the doubts that come up? 
I don't know. I was always kind of confident. <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't. I mean, as a teenager, I wasn't. Also, you said that Crohn's, I think you told me in our first interview that having the training with Crohn's also taught you that you were different even young. So, well, but yeah, it did. Coping skills, right? So I developed coping skills. And so I was able to cope. Um, and then, you know, as far as, you know, I tell other people as far as inoculate themselves against rejection you know so uh, everyone gets rejected you know it might be you know uh might because they don't want someone who's bald right uh it may be they reject somebody because of their religion you know the people get rejected for all kinds of reasons and so you know we have to learn not to take that that personally right and so when we want to when we want everybody to to reciprocate and feel like everyone should I mean, that, that's just a false assumption you know um it's just we, we have to we have to look for our people by by connecting with the people that resonate right. and instead of thinking we should be able to appeal to everybody and especially as we get older i feel like it becomes even more essential for us to say not that i can't connect with somebody young i have i i have men and women friends at this age that i'm developing a new and because of my vitality at this stage that we call the open nesters, I can connect with those people whose energy is coming up to meet up to and meet my age, yeah. It's sex. Sex isn't about age. You know, when they're when when you're like like you're saying, if you're vital, you know, um, if you if you got great energy, if other people connect with that energy, uh, sometimes age really is just a number. And I yeah, I, age is a number, and I love the number. So, you know, we've gotten we've gotten so far from loving our and I'm very oh, much yeah. on this podcast about pro age. And and so I want to uh, I thought pro- 60, 60 was really freeing. I was like, fuck yeah, you. right. Like, exactly. Yeah, I'm 60. I call I'm it 60. sexy. I call it. Sexy. I've, I've lived this long. <laughs> I'm like 40 years in a with a spinal cord injury. And I think I'm still in damn good shape, you know, for for what I can do, you know, as far and as you work out. Goals. I mean, tell people the, how you've adapted to that, because I think that's a good example. I, from, I just from, use what I can use. I, you know, I swim, I hand cycle, you know, I work out in the gym, you know, I do things, you know, whatever I, I, I stay fit. I eat well, you know, um, I want to keep myself the best I can. Obviously not obviously, but I push a lot, you know, in a wheelchair. So that, that's going to keep you in somewhat good shape if you don't overdo it for your shoulders. So, um, uh, I, I thought I felt 60 was, was great. was better than 50, better than 40 as far as feeling like screw you. (laughs) This is me and this is how we grow into it and then better when we embrace it. So, so what do you have to say for, for like, if you had to, first of all, what, what's ahead for you? I know you, you also have a film that I don't know if you want to talk about. I'm focused on uh, distributing my film, Love After War, Saving Love, Saving Lives. So it's the story of injured veterans and their romantic partners who are winning the battle for love. And I say winning the battle because originally I, I called it the story of, you know, injured veterans and, and romantic partners who won the battle for love. But it's it's a constant struggle. Um, so, that, you know, I interviewed in, in this this um, edit um, five uh couples all you know with different very serious uh injuries from uh multiple limb loss with genital injury and brain injury 
to blindness from gunshots through the face, spinal cord injuries with other multiple gunshot wounds, um, burns over 85% of their bodies, uh, you know, sexual trauma. So, you know, I interviewed these folks uh, and looked how each went from being kind of sexually devastated, you know, feeling, you know, unlovable uh, after after injury and after war to, you know, being in nice, strong relationships. Uh, and so um, using that to uh, show a realistic uh, vision of hope to all the other people who are struggling. So m- many more people, you know, after injury and after service are struggling with their relationships, you know, suicide or failed intimate relationships, uh, continue to be the, the the leading contributor to suicides uh, in the military and, and veteran population. So it's about the numbers close to about 40% uh, of situations. The, the key stressor was a relationship problem. And so I'm trying well, to probably uh, around the mental illness problem of our, of our world too. I, so I, it's, I, it's very, and you know, so when they look at the psychosocial issues, it's relationship problems. And then if you look at the overlapping issues, another high number would be mental health issues, depression, anxiety, you know, those type of issues are also high. So that's not, that's separate from the, the stressors. The stressors are, are number one relationship issues. And then sometimes legal issues within the army and financial issues. So those are, those are stressors. Other contributing factors are, uh, anxiety and depression, you know, it's often, you know, resulting uh, of moral injury, uh, PTSD, brain injury, those things are also, you know, contribute to. So anyway, the I, I want to make my mark, do what I can do in helping save love, save lives uh, for, for veterans. And everybody can learn from watching this film. You know, I, I, how can we find it or support it and support your work? So right now you could go to loveafterwar.org and learn about the film. There's a place you can uh, contribute to help make an impact there. Uh, the film is now, if you're at an institution, well, anyone could, or, or community organization, New Day, New Day Films, it's there for license, whether it's for 14 days, one year, three years, or five years. So the, the film is available for, for license through New Day Film. Uh, I think dot com, and um, if people are interested in hosting uh, a virtual private screening, and I could speak after that, they could contact me through loveafterwar.org or if they're interested now in doing a, a hosting in their own community, uh, they can they can license it, and they could still reach out to me if they want me to either come in person or to do a talk back in this way virtually. And that's the best way to reach you is through that website, or is there other ways with your? Well, if it's about okay. love after, if it's about love after war, uh, okay. dot org, if they put it in the contact form, I will get it. If it's just to reach me, they could go to drmitchelltepper.com, dot com. Okay. Uh, yeah, the the contact forms really work. You know, I give them priority in my mailbox. So. Uh, Wonderful. And is there anything else you would want to make sure that you, you you haven't said or or that you'd like to wish for people at this stage of life as they become older or or see this change as being difficult, whether it's in their bodies or in their sexuality? 
Well, I know I say that, you know, breaking your neck forces what forced me and forces people to deal with all the aspects of aging at once. Right. So it's like you can't deny it. Right. If you break your neck and most of the time, it'll cause problems with erectile function and you have to look to taking medications or some other, you know, support for for your erections. Uh, generally we lose the ability to ejaculate without some kind of strong stimulation. We have, uh, we lose the ability to be in, in, to, to do every type of positioning or thrusting that we want. So we, we can't, we can't avoid it. We can't deny it. As you grow old and things change slowly, we could, we could ignore it. We could deny it. Right. And we could try to get by like we used to. And that's not a way to succeed, you know, have to be honest with ourselves, recognize that things are changing and look for ways, you know, to, uh, I'm always looking to help people optimize their sexual pleasure. So how am I going to get the most out of what I've got? How am I going to give pleasure, you know, if, you know, I can't rely on the old ways. So, you know, keep an open mind, stay flexible, stay curious, keep learning. Don't give up. And then even communicate. If you find the, the people that that I think the vulnerability piece is that is that you know who you can connect with and have have a, have a better sexual life with. If you're if we are honest and loving, like showing up with our full heart first, because people get so caught up in that performance thing. And right. I think it's being becoming that human you were talking about in the book. Right. Like this, this human connection is has got to be the best way, even within our own relationships. And I mean, for me, sometimes getting a distance helps me have perspective to come home again, too. So I think, you know, sometimes within a couple, if that's, if as you age, learning more, you know, educating yourself, are there any places you would tell them to educate themselves more through more sexual, um, sensual education to just be more in touch with the slowing down? Any places you would point that? As I said, you, you can, outside of the realm, you have mindfulness and, and and yoga, but inside the realm, depends. You really have to be selective, but you could really get a lot out of a good tantric retreat. You know, depends on you know who who you're with and and practicing. But any any type of sexual adventure together, you know, or or on your own with the, if there's a group of 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 single or mixed folks, right? So adult learning, but I believe a lot in experiential learning. I, I agree. I think that, that Amir and I learn the most from going to these nude resorts where people accept their bodies as they are. And there are older people that go to them, desire, hedonism, like the idea of just, just the, the, the openness of our bodies having, and then that stimulating sometimes to have that eye candy so that it, it can, it can then bring it back home to you. So I love that. I don't know what resorts you're going to. Uh, I've been to nudist resorts, and a lot of them are kind of, I'm going to use the the, the term, uh, asexual, although they're nude and comfortable in their bodies, right? Um, no, the ones that we've gone to, hedonism and desire, are about the sexual. Oh, oh, those are those are the... Those are the names of the places he did like in Jamaica. In Jamaica, Desire used to only be in Mexico. Now they're opening more of them. And I think it gives couples okay. a playground. Okay, that's different than I've been to like nudist 
camps and societies and and, and they, they're they're a little different perspective it's where where nude is just natural it's not necessarily sexual well or i think being nude at nude beaches that's not supposed to be sexual still elevates my sexual feeling so oh. it hasn't I love being yeah. naked in the sun. I mean, it reminds me of being a kid at the beach and taking a shower. Exactly. With no, you know, no, no roof, or whatever, or laying naked in the sand or whatever. It's a. I've got nothing against that. I'm just saying that my idea or my visits to uh, when naturist places were were different than you described. But I've never been to hedonism. So. So so anything else left unsaid? You feel like you'd like to part depart? You know, part with. I just feel like you've covered a lot of ground, but. I'm ready. I think we're good. <laughs> I love what you give us. I really do. I think it's really essential, and I really value your time the second time, too. But this way, we got to know each other a little bit better, Mitch. And, yeah. and you got to read my book first. And I got to read your book first. So I definitely recommend that. It gives you a lot of And also, what, what do you have in the, in the back here, which I will point out, too, is that, that this idea of kind of this process of spiritual aspects, like I love, of sexual the pleasure, and then... And then one of the chapters is about the myths that hold us back. So, you know, you covered oh, so many areas that I think are really helpful for our openesters and really, really value it and look forward to seeing you back in New England sometime soon. Yeah, I guess I'll see you at an upcoming event. Oh, we have a wedding coming up of a mutual friend, so that'll be fun. <laughs> All right. Take care. Be well. Save a dance for me. As we continue our exploration of sexuality and aging month, please join us in the next two weeks for a two-part panel discussion of four incredible women discussing aging and sexuality. This, I'm very pleased we got Mitch Tepper, Dr. Mitch Tepper, on our podcast. I know it was a, a tough go. We had to do the episode twice, but, you know, it was well worth it at the end. Totally worth it. Yes. Uh, I, I'm telling you, I am experiencing, uh, I didn't break my neck, thank God, but I'm experiencing some disabilities myself, you know, with my shoulder, rotating cuff. And for the last few weeks, I couldn't do what exactly I wanted to do and could do like three months ago. So I feel a little bit disabled and unable to accomplish a lot of tasks that has to do with physicality. And here is a guy that is, has a spinal cord injury. And his attitude and his perspective and the way he lived his life, he's not telling you how to. He's telling you how he did. And it's incredible for me to to see and learn and really putting my little self-pity of myself to shame. I agree. He's, uh, he had, gives us an idea of how to use our skills as we age to adapt. And that's what he talked about is that to talk about what we have, what we had in the past as we get older and to expect to stay the same is just a little bit insane because our bodies are going to change. Exactly. And, and I love what he talks about and how he goes into the, one of the, you know, the sexual forms that I love about Tantra and talks about that. It's, 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 it's mindfulness for the 21st century in a, in a scientific way. Right. And, and I just, I, the, the sound vibrations that he discusses, being in the moment with our bodies and that yoga of sex and breath. So when we, when we set better intentions about what we can do, and it could be just a mental thing, like with you with, with more of the S&M, like the mental state of that 
course. sometimes can be without all the sexual, which SNL, right. you know, BDSM is not even always sexual. Right. So just the brain and our imagination, how to use that, it opened up the ideas that it, it's all it's all about our thoughts. It's, it's all about thoughts. what I'm thinking. I always wondering how there are some people that have just gave up on sex that hasn't had sex for a long time, men and women. And men, now I understand a little bit better why men do not have any more sex and they have a little shame, a little discomfort with uh, not getting an erection or... Or a lot of shame. Or, or a lot of shame. <laughs> and, and then they say, you know what, that's really feel uncomfortable to me. I'm not going to do this and again. And the wife feels like she she doesn't, she's not she turning him to, on. Right. And so it becomes a, a vicious cycle. So exactly, it's it's so true. It's like performance is so big in our in our society. So, so, so Mitch's suggestion was really don't take it too seriously. It's yeah. happened once. It's happened twice. Don't don't really beat yourself up and change your whole life pattern because of it. And uh, ultimately, uh, don't have any more sex and any pleasures that relate to that. That's a shame, really. Sense of humor we need for everything in life and not to take ourselves seriously in order to have fun and be playful. And I and I also love, so I love his love potion number nine of of trust, safety, connection, stop, Incredible. focus, connect, and then the creativity that we're talking about, about how we had an adaptability and the sense of humor. So I thought this was, this, this episode teaches so much. And I, I, I wanted to say that about the love potion number nine, but you covered it very well. Tessa, and I just wanted to add just that disability has always been kinky for him. And that's, you know, you have to use your imagination to think about exactly what that is. He, he hinted it a little bit, but he's an incredible human being. I really have a lot of respect for him, uh, admiration for his attitude, admiration of his achievement, despite of his uh, disability. Yeah, when he when I met him in person, he he's you know driving up in a van. He rents vans. He gets everywhere. He doesn't give in to this, and it's something that we all need to learn from. Is what can we do? What a time and he's fashion, vital, yeah. and he's in great condition, and he swims. And I mean, that's the thing: is how do we adapt? Really adapt in our bodies. It's to all the in changes. our mind. It's all in our mind. It's really just in our mind. Absolutely. How do we cope with that? What do we tell ourselves? What story? How sorry you feel for ourselves? Do we feel pity? Why me? And all this other, I guess, legend and fables we tell ourselves that it should be this way, it should be that way. The myths, the myths that are in his book, that's right. 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 Uh, and I love that he said at the end, oh, we'll dance at the wedding, save me a dance. So he's ready to dance at any time, and I love that about any human being. So thank you so much, Mitch, yeah. for this incredible Look, uh, you know, interview. Uh, nobody's perfect. Nobody's really can get exactly the state of mind to overcome and muscle through, uh, you know, discomfort in bedtimes. But we all have to try our best, really try our best. It's a training. I guess we have to train our brain to think positively and to think in progression and to, see, to think that, that way. Amen to that. <laughs> anyway, hope you got something out of this particular episode. I sure did. The, the time, it was very timely and relevant for me. So visit us on theopennesser.com. That's double N in the middle, S at the end. We love to hear from you. And Tessa will tell you about our Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, social media is growing. We, we thank you for getting on there. And also on our podcast itself. If you're in a platform, a podcast platform, please subscribe and share. 
And really, thank you for helping us grow to really be irrelevant. We're in the top 15% of relationship podcasts. And it's really, it's it's just inspiring to me to know that you're out there listening. listening and we yeah. would love your comments. And we would love you on our closed Facebook page to talk about how you feel about what you've learned from this and what we, how we can all grow together. So, till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.